Okay, let's pray. <coughs> Father, we are thankful for another opportunity to study your word. As we look at Revelation chapter 10, this most important chapter in the book of Revelation, may it stimulate us to further commitment to you. And may we strive to be faithful in these last days so we will be ready for your return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a little note for the Audioverse listeners who are listening to this recording. This is a do-over recording for Revelation chapter 10 uh, because we lost the initial recording. So for those of you who listen to this, you should feel very grateful because we don't have to do this, but because we love you guys so much, we're doing it for you guys. If they, were, if they were here, they would say thank you, but they're not. So we're going to keep going. Let's look at Revelation chapter 10. Seems like we have been drilling in this chapter all day. But uh, it is a good chapter. One of my favorites in the whole Bible. But I guess I have a lot of favorites, so that's not saying too much. Revelation chapter 10. Uh, let's look at verse 1. Let's have a volunteer to read from verse 1 to verse 3. Anyone? Don't be shy. Okay, here in the front. Thank you, Arden. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it, as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot on the earth, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. This chapter opens with a mighty angel that comes down from heaven. But I guess uh, I need to get my bearing straight before I get too far ahead of myself. Chapter 10 of Revelation comes immediately after the sixth trumpet of Revelation chapter 9. And the sixth trumpet, we discussed a little bit today, this afternoon. Also, Norman taught the class on Revelation 9 up in the balcony. Um, <clears throat> it concluded in August 11, 1840. And chapter 10 comes right in the wake of the fifth and sixth trumpet being fulfilled. And so that is the approximate time where we're looking at. Of course, we can't use that as a rule because in the book of Revelation, remember, not everything comes in chronological order. So we need to identify specifically what time this takes place. But before we identify that time, we see the messenger who comes down from heaven. The mighty angel comes down with very vivid descriptions of what he looks like. And to use an illustration, if I'm standing up here and I have a message to give and I'm wearing a white lab coat with a stethoscope around my neck, what type of message would you expect me to give? A medical or one related to health. What did you say? No, okay. If I'm up here and I am dressed in a fireman outfit with a big hat, you know, the big trousers, what, expect, uh, what kind of message would you expect me to give then? Safety or something related to fires. So, this angel, the way that he is dressed, 
tells us something about the type of message he's going to give. And we actually see this very clearly uh, previously in the book of Revelation with the seven churches. You remember that. Jesus was described a specific way for each church because his appearance had to do with the message he's given for that specific need of that church. And so here in Revelation 10, a mighty angel comes down. He's, he's dressed a certain way. How is he dressed? It says he is clothed with a cloud, number one. He has a rainbow upon his head. His face was as it were the sun. His feet as pillars of fire. And verse 3, we see that his voice is like a lion's voice. Let's look at a few verses. Let's look at Revelation chapter 14. Uh, actually, it's actually uh, easier to look at verse, uh, chapters, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 7. Anyone like to read that for us? Okay, we have volunteer in the front corner. Verse 7. Uh-huh. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Okay, let's look at Revelation chapter 14 now. Verses 14 through 16. Revelation 14, 14 through 16. Another volunteer, sorry. Okay, go ahead in the front. Next time. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle, on the earth, and the earth was reaped. All right, so, so far we see that the cloud in Revelation is associated with a certain individual and with a certain event. Let's look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 3 now. We're talking about the rainbow. Revelation chapter 4, verse 3. Who would like to read that? Give it to Norman. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So an aim, a rainbow is surrounding the throne of God. All right. Let's look in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16. We're looking at the sun now. Revelation 1 verse 16. Volunteer. Tim? And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Okay. Jesus, his countenance shone as the sun. Revelation 1, verse 15. Another volunteer. Okay. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Okay, so his feet are like as though they were burning in a furnace. Okay, Revelation 5, verse 5, another volunteer. 
Okay, Julie. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So Jesus here, he is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. So what have we looked at so far? All of the description of this angel in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1, in the book of Revelation, we notice we did not jump out of the book of Revelation at all. They all have to do with Jesus. Jesus comes with a cloud at the second coming. His face shone, his countenance shone like the sun. There's a rainbow around the throne of God. His feet are like pillars of fire in Revelation chapter 10, but in Revelation chapter 1, it's as though they were burning in a furnace. It's a very similar picture. It's also the line of the tribe of Judah. So who's this angel? Okay, if you still doubt my, uh, or not my, but what we have seen in Revelation, Bible Commentary, <coughs> Volume 7, page 971. The mighty angel who instructed John was no less a personage than Jesus Christ. Setting his right foot on the sea and his left upon the dry land shows the part he, which he was acting in the closing scenes of the great controversy with Satan. Pretty clear, right? Jesus Christ is that mighty angel. But what are the messages that this angel comes with? Or what is the messages that his clothing depicts? First, we already looked at the cloud. He cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. I saw one like unto the Son of Man, seated on the cloud, with golden crown on his head, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Second coming language. You also look in the uh, book of Matthew. Jesus cometh with all his holy angels. And the holy angels are known as his chariots in the book of Psalms. And the he rides the cloud as his chariot. So he comes with clouds. So Jesus is coming in Revelation chapter 10 with a second coming message. But he also has a rainbow. And when was the first time a rainbow appeared in the Bible? After the flood. And what was it put in the sky for? As a covenant with Noah. So Jesus also comes with a covenant message. And then the sun, okay, this one, you, it might not be as familiar of a verse, Malachi chapter 4. Let's look there. Malachi chapter 4, keep your finger in Revelation 10. Malachi 4 verse 2, another volunteer. All right, we have one right in front of you, Arden, there. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. All right. Jesus here is also described as the Son of Righteousness. Son, S-U-N, not S-O-N. So he is also bringing a message of righteousness. Okay, and then the pillar of fire in the wilderness, right? What was the pillars of fire for? Light and heat and leading, guidance. So Jesus is coming down with a wilderness message, a message that he is to be their guide through the passage of a difficult circumstance. That's a hint of what's to come in this chapter. So we see Jesus in Revelation chapter 10, verse 1, as a mighty angel having a message of 
the second coming of the covenant of righteousness and of his leading protection and guidance through the wilderness. But in verse 2, he had in his hand a little book open. This little book, since it is told, told us here that it is open, we infer that at one point, what was it? It was closed, so it wasn't always open. And this little book, we talked about um, a little bit already today, but there's something that for specifically the Revelation class in this recording, we need to make sure we clarify. There is a closed book in the book of Revelation. Remember that. It's the book with seven seals. So how do we know if this book is the book of seven seals? Two lines of reasoning. The first one is that the book with seven seals, the seventh seal is not opened until there is silence in heaven for half an hour. And that is the second coming. And so the, seven, the book with seven seals cannot be opened prior to the second coming. And here, we are not talking about the second coming. It's right after 1840. And because there are lots of events that take place after this little book is opened in this very chapter, we know that it's not the second coming. So that's the first line of reasoning. The second one is, you remember in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, there is that book with seven seals in the right hand of God, and we are told that no man can even look on the book, much less open it, and much less eat it. In Revelation chapter 10, later on in the book, in the chapter, John has to eat the book. But the book with seven seals is so holy and so mysterious for some reason, which we discussed before, that no man can even look on the book. So how can John possibly be asked to eat that book? It simply cannot be. So with those two lines of reasoning, it's quite clear that this book cannot be the book with seven seals that we studied earlier in this class. So what little book is it? Well, what book was closed in the Bible? Right, let's look in Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And I think I should uh, be a little more thorough since I have a little more time. And start in verse 4. Let's have a volunteer. Someone can read verse 4. Just verse 4 for now. Yeah, go ahead in front. Sorry. <laughs> but thou, O Daniel, shut up the books. Sorry, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. All right. So Daniel is told to seal up the book until the time of the end. And after the time of the end... Men will run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Uh, you're going to allow me to, you know, sp take a little more time than a regular Sabbath school class, right? Because right. normally we, we never have enough time, so I'm sort of reveling in this joyous occasion to have more time. So let me, let me just talk about a few things here. Uh, I won't digress too far, I hope, I promise. <clears throat> the book is sealed up. Until the time of the end. But after the time of the end, two things happen. It says, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And you know, many times we say, 
you see the jetliners and the bullet trains and the subways and the, you know, space shuttles. Men are running to and fro. It's a sign that we're in the end times. And it says knowledge shall be increased. So we have the information superhighway. We have the internet. Every piece of information we can ever want is at our fingertips in a millisecond notice on Google. And, uh, you know, all of our universities and medical technology, we say, wow, time is running out. Well, I think that's a neat application. But looking contextually in the chapter, I don't think that's the main point. Now, you remember back in the days of Daniel, how were, the, how were books written? They were in scrolls. So if you were to study a book and you're, and you're trying to do what the Bible says, you know, here a little, there a little, if you open up the whole Bible or all of the prophets, the law and the prophets, across the room, what will you look like when you're studying the Bible? You're going to be running to and fro. You're going to be looking here. That's Daniel and Revelation's way over here. Oh, wait, I need to go back to Revelation or Daniel over there. Running to and fro, studying the scriptures, and knowledge shall be increased. Knowledge of what? Specifically knowledge of the book that was sealed, which is the book of Daniel. Okay, let's continue on until the time of the end. Let's, uh, verse 5 through 7. Let's stop there. Another volunteer. Okay, Darren, over there. Daniel 12, verse uh, 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others on this riverbank on the other that, on the other, excuse me, this is such small, and on the, Go ahead. Verse 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this riverbank and the other on that riverbank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and, a, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. Thank you very much. So here we see a, a sort of a shift in the picture. Daniel, he sees two men, one on one side of the river, one on the other side. And actually one is on, upon the waters, I guess it looks like. And the question is, how long? And the answer is given unto a time, times, and a half, which is 1,260 prophetic days or 1,260 literal years. But now let's go verse 8. Uh, let's read from verse 8 to verse 11. Another volunteer. Okay, we have another volunteer. You're going to read here? Okay, on the front again, it's fine. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And verse 11. 
And from the time that the, that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Okay. So a couple things we want to notice in this in this verse, in these verses. Verse eight, Daniel very clearly says, I heard, but I didn't understand. So he asked the same question. What shall be the end of these things? Or how long? He's asking the same question. And so the answer that he's about to be given is in, in essence a parallel answer or the same answer that was given previously. And verse 9 says, uh, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So looking at those two comparisons, time, times, and a half, the conclusion of which will be the time of the end. But also, if you look down in verse 11, ha, it looks as though the time of the end, and in verse 10, it's talking about those who will understand at the time of the end. Verse 11, it, it makes no distinction that it's talking about a different subject. So it appears as though the 1290 there also is connected with the time of the end. Okay? So 1290, 1260, all ending at the time of the end. And that's when the book of Daniel is open. Okay? But is the whole book of Daniel sealed up? Um, is it all of the book of Daniel that could not have been understood prior to 1798? You know, Daniel uh, asking for 10 days, and Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel and his three friends in the fiery furnace. All of those stories have application that you can understand them before. And even Martin Luther understood the little horn prior to 1798. So what specifically was sealed up? It's in uh, Daniel chapter 8. I'll just read this. Um, for those of us here, we've already gone through that today. So I won't belabor the point, but for the recording. Verse 26, Daniel 8. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. So what is the vision of the evening and the morning? That's in verse 14. And he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, in the margin it says, evening and morning, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So putting everything together, the 2,300 days is the specific portion of Daniel that was sealed. And it was sealed for 1,260 years until the time of the end, and that's when it will be open. And the time of the end began in 1798. Therefore, Revelation chapter 10, when the mighty angel comes down and opens the little book in his hand, when then did that take place? 1798. That's right. So we have the time now of where this message takes place. And also, well, okay, I don't want to distract you from the flow of thought here. Maybe I'll come back to it. So now, oh, is there a question? Yes. Okay, hang on. Let's add, oh, wait for the mic. It's okay. Here in the corner. I just want to ask, when you said um, the 2300 days, um, that was showing us that the 1260 years until the time of the end was 1798. And then you said Revelation 10. Is that connecting that information with Revelation 10 versus... Um, one and two. One and two. Okay, yep. thank you. That's right. The little book that was opened in Revelation chapter 10, we discover it's not the seven, uh, book with seven seals, but it is 
the book of Daniel, but specifically what part of the book of Daniel was open. Daniel 8, 14, 2300 days, and that took place in 1798. Okay? Now, verse 3 of Revelation 10, we read something interesting. Actually, verse 3 and 4. I'll just read these verses real quick. <clears throat> and when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. Now, John is a very cruel man. He says, I heard something, and I was about to write, but God told me I can't tell you. Boy, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel curious, right? That's a euphemistic way of putting it. God here gave a message identified as seven thunders. And John heard the message, and he was about to write it down, but ah, God told me I can't write it. And why did he have to tell us, right? Why did he have to tell us he heard the seven thunders in the first place? Why can't he just leave it out? But there is a reason. And so I believe that there is something that we can learn from the seven thunders. And actually, we are told what the seven thunders said. So uh, hang, on to your, hang on to your seats because we're getting there. But let's look at a story in John chapter 12 that will help us better understand what happens or what type of message is the seven thunders. John chapter 12, verse 28 to verse 32. Let's have a volunteer read that for us. John 12, 28 to 32. Okay. Sunny. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And read verse 33 too, sorry. 33. Um, this he said, signifying what death he should die. All right. John chapter 12, we see a very similar situation. And this is particularly interesting because John is the same author of Revelation. And so here he is, John, writing this story about Jesus. Jesus is saying, he says, Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven, and it tells us what the voice says, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. But the people did not understand. And what did they hear instead? Thunder. So first, seven thunders in the book of Revelation. It is a message from God that, simply put, cannot be understood or understood by those who don't have a full uh, understanding of the plan that is about to take place. And Jesus, he says, this voice came not for me but for you. So the other thing is that when a, a thunder when they hear thunder, it's God giving a message to his people. It's not to be a hidden message because it very clearly says, the voice came not for me, it came for you. 
and it was talk it was the voice was about his death the glorification of Christ and he spake about him being lifted up from the earth signifying what death he should die and verse 34 is very enlightening it says the people answered him we have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever and how sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man now the, this verse shows that the Jews had an inadequate understanding of the mission of Christ. And so the voice that came from heaven, they could not understand because they were on the wrong track. They were reasoning from a wrong premise. And so they couldn't understand the voice. But the voice nonetheless was coming for their sake. And for their sake, if they understood the voice, here's the key, it would have prevented a great disappointment because they would have understood Christ's death. So a couple things about the thunder. Here it says, now is a judgment of this world. It has to do with judgment. It's a message to supplement an inadequate knowledge. And it's a message that if understood, <coughs> if, or a lack of understanding, let me put it this way, a lack of understanding of this thunder message will lead to a disappointment during a testing time. It will lead to a testing time or a disappointment. All right. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 10, putting these things together. So the seven thunders are something that God was telling actually for the sake of his people. And that's why he told John, don't write it down, but at least let them know that you heard it. So they'll study out, you see. So they'll study to really try to understand what this thunder message is. And it's a message that is to supplement their inadequate knowledge that may help prevent disappointment. All right, what is it? You ready? 7 BC, 971, again. Same uh, book and page that I quoted from before. The special light given to John, which was expressed in the seven thunders, was a delineation of events which would transpire under the first and second angel's messages. It was not best for the people to know these things, for their faith must necessarily be tested. There you have it. The seven thunders, John actually heard what was going to take place between, in the Millerite movement leading up to 1844. That was a thunder message. And can you imagine if we had known what would have happened? There would have been no Avon movement, really. There would have been no test. There would have been no great disappointment. So now you know why John couldn't tell us? So we don't feel so bad anymore, right? John was being a good messenger. So the seven thunders message is nice for us to know now uh, because it, it bolsters our faith, knowing that God had in mind his people's best interests when the great disappointment came. Okay, so let's uh, <coughs> move along here. We looked at verse 1 through 4 already. Verse 5, uh, I'll just read verse 5 through 7. I'm not going to spend really any time on this. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hands to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that 
therein are, and the sea and the things which are therein, that there should be time no longer. We should all be tired of me saying that verse by now. But um, for those of you who are listening on audio verse, you can go reference the sermon, uh, Time No Longer, part one and two, for further understanding. And also verse seven, continuing. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So the few things that we should just touch on and move on. Time no longer refers to prophetic time. No more prophetic time after the message of the 2300 days is fulfilled, which ended in 1844. And the mystery of God, essentially, to sum it up, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is the consummation, the culmination of the final phase of the plan of salvation, fully revealed. Righteousness by faith in, uh, in its fullness. So, we see that uh, in these verses. But, maybe one thing I, I can add here. I was going to digress in this point before, but I think now is a good time. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. And we've, we've been jumping back and forth between Daniel 12 and Revelation all day. But there's one last thing I want to point out. And that is, you remember I mentioned that the angel in Revelation chapter 12 and the angel in Revelation chapter 10, their physical posture and what they say is very similar. It's a similar, it's a similar picture. Raising his hands to heaven, swearing by him who liveth forever and ever, that something is about to take place. Okay, in Revelation chapter 7, uh, chapter 12, verse 7, I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. We discussed that before. Here it's prophetic time. So therefore, uh, it must be prophetic time that is no longer in Revelation chapter 10. But it says here, And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people. That's what the 1260 was all about. But when time no longer was given, or when the mystery of God is to be finished, we looked at Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3 and chapter 5, that it is to gather in one all things in Christ. Interesting. 1260 was given to scatter the power, but finally after the scattering is completed, Christ needs to gather his people. That's a very fascinating Bible study scattering and gathering times in the Bible. Uh, I just want to point that out for you for further study. Okay, so the mystery of God should be finished. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, we're winding down to the end here. Verses 8 to the end of the chapter is an acted parable that John participates in. And it is an illustration, a parable that we can learn something from. So let's have someone read uh, the balance of this chapter, verse 8 through 11. Can I have a volunteer here? Joel, thank you. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. 
And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy, prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Okay. So the parable is uh, very interesting. John is told, go to the angel, take the little book, and eat it. Now, I've never eaten a book before, and clearly this is symbolic. And what does it mean to eat the book? I'll just give you a few verses. Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and also Jeremiah 15, verse 6. Eating the words represents accepting it or assimilating it. And so John, representing God's people at this time, takes the book and he accepts the message. He believes it. He takes it into himself. And when are these books, or when was this message eaten? When was the understanding of the message of the little book, when did it begin? It, it was a little before 1840s. It actually, Miller actually had understood it for quite some time before he started preaching it. And in fact, there are a number of individuals around the world who actually understood this very message other than Miller. So it was a worldwide movement which is symbolized by the angel standing on the sea and upon the earth. And so he eats this message, and in his mouth it was sweet as honey. So can we say that he started tasting the honey in 1798? And then his belly got bitter. And so it was a bitter experience when the message was fully understood. And when was the bitter experience? 1844. October 22, 1844. Okay, so I'm going to draw another connection here. When or what time prophecy ends in 1798? That was a trick question, see? Huh. 1260 is correct, but I was thinking actually of the 1290. The 1290 also ends the 12, uh, the, or begins the time of the end. And maybe we should look in, in Daniel 12. I don't want to just spew off the top of my head here. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, <coughs> 1290. But immediately in chapter, uh, verse, chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. So there's a special blessing for those who wait and endure and last and comes to the end of the 1335. That means there is a blessing for those who come to the great disappointment. And what is that blessing? The disappointment was not a blessing. In a, in a way, it was a blessing. It, it tested them. But after the disappointment, if you have endured to this point, you have the privilege of doing something that no other generation in this world has ever been able to do. Blessing. That comes at the end of the 1335. And so John here, at the conclusion of the story, he gets commissioned. Thou must prophesy again. Just those four words. Thou must prophesy again. I can, we can conclude several things. How can, you, how can you prophesy again if you haven't been prophesying before? 
So what that tells us is that the message leading up to the great disappointment was a prophecy, prophecy message. And what we are to continue proclaiming is a prophecy message. And also, it tells us that the message must be proclaimed before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And this is a very close uh, listing of the audience of this message, as in Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, verse 6, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. It's a prophecy message. And so what must we prophesy again? The 2300 days. This message that has been eaten, that has been understood, that caused a disappointing experience, that caused bitterness in his belly, you need to go out and preach this message again. In Revelation 14, we see that reiterated. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the things that therein are. So Revelation chapter 10, what have we seen? Jesus comes down personally to deliver a special message. Specifically, the open book is the message of the 2300 days or the investigative judgment or the heavenly sanctuary. All of those things, same thing. But more than that, he comes down with a message, messages that stem out of that uh, sanctuary message, messages of the second coming, message of the new covenant, message of righteousness by faith, message that God is still the God that leads his people through the wilderness to the promised land and even when they go through disappointments. And also, we saw that the little book uh, was opened in 1798. We saw the seven thunders declare events that will transpire into the first and second angels' messages, which is the Millerite movement leading up to 1844. We saw that their sweet experience turned bitterly disappointing. October 22, 1844. We saw that this group of people that once prophesied had a disappointing experience, was tempted to stop, but God said, you need to prophesy again. So who is this chapter talking about? Who is identified by this chapter? It sounds elitist, it sounds bigoted, but the Seventh-day Adventist movement. And you know, after studying Revelation chapter 10, people that say the great disappointment, you guys came up with the sanctuary message as a face-saving device, your church was founded by a girl with third grade education that had trauma to her head. She was delusional. She was a plagiarist. Those things don't undermine my faith anymore. Because our movement was prophesied in the Bible. Not just the good and the rosy. You notice the Bible does not prophesy that we're going to have the largest Protestant education system in the world. That's not what it prophesies. The Bible does not tell us that we are going to have the most effective health ministry in the world. Unfortunately, we actually are not the head in that area anymore. It tells us that this is going to be a movement who initially has an inadequate understanding. I 
will even give them the message that will prevent that, but I'm not going to let them know what it is until after the fact. I will even prophesy that they will be disappointed. We are in the Bible. And there is no reason for us to have our faith undermined when people come up with petty excuses. Your church is based on the writings of Ellen White. I believe in Ellen White and her authority, but our church did not arise out of her writings. We arose from Revelation chapter 10. And so, what must we do? Well, according to Revelation chapter 10 verse 11, we must prophesy again. What must we prophesy again? It is the 2300 days, the investigative judgment. All linked to that is the second coming, righteousness by faith, the covenants of God, and of course, the mystery of God being finished. That's the, that's the culmination of it all. So, God bless you for coming. I encourage you to continue to study. For those of you on Audioverse, continue to study as well. And uh, let's bow our heads for prayer as we close. Father in heaven, we are thankful for Revelation chapter 10, for such clear identification of your remnant people. And Lord, I ask that you will help us not to feel elitist because we are not. Help us to feel the weight that with, great, uh, with greater privileges come greater responsibilities. To whom much is given, much more is required. And so may we realize that we are not better than anyone else, but simply called to a different purpose. And Lord, may we ever have our mind focused on that goal uh, that you wish for us to complete in this generation. And may individuals in this auditorium be faithful unto death. And if it be thy will, if you see fit, may we be alive to see you come in the clouds of glory. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.